Making sure a business thrives is challenging, but sometimes the solution can lie right in the numbers. Uh, specifically, 37,000, 25, and 1. Now, these aren't just figures. They're a gateway to more visibility and decisive control in your business. Let's start with 37,000. That's the amount of businesses who've embraced NetSuite by Oracle, the ultimate cloud financial system revolutionizing accounting, financial management, HR, and beyond. And 25? That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do everything from accelerating financial closures to slashing operational costs. And every business is unique, making yours the one that matters. NetSuite offers tailored solutions to amplify your key performance indicators, all consolidated within one streamlined platform. Ready to optimize? Download NetSuite's coveted KPI checklist, engineered to elevate your performance consistently, absolutely free. Visit netsuite.com slash cbs now. That's netsuite.com slash cbs. Good morning to you and welcome to CBS This Morning. It's Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. I'm Gail King with Anthony Mason and Tony DeCopel. Here we go. We've got a lot to get to today, including a major step forward in the fight against the coronavirus. The FDA has authorized emergency use of the Pfizer vaccine for children between the ages of 12 to 15. They found it safe and effective. We'll have much more on this big announcement just ahead. But we begin with an update on a cyber attack that is now causing gas shortages in multiple states. Lines are already forming at gas stations in the southeast, including at this one in Tallahassee, Florida. So far, seven states have seen a small number of stations actually run out of gas, including Virginia, where more than 6% are without fuel. North Carolina has already declared a state of emergency. The FBI says a private group of hackers called Darkside is responsible. Ed O'Keefe has more. From Florida to North Carolina, drivers made a run for gas waiting in long lines across the southeast in anticipation of a shortage. You don't want to miss out. You don't want to be the one that doesn't get gas. The shutdown of the pipelines also putting major airports in Baltimore, Charlotte, and others on the east coast at risk of low supply. Federal officials work through the weekend to monitor the fallout and the transportation departments making it easier to move fuel by truck to address supply disruptions. The FBI says a hacking group known as Darkside is responsible. It appears to be Russia-based. So far, there is no evidence based on from our intelligence people that Russia is involved, although there is evidence that the actor's ransomware is in Russia. They have some responsibility to deal with this. Like U.S. Colonial Pipeline, 85% of American critical infrastructure is owned and operated by the private sector. And experts say collaboration between the government and companies is crucial. Kirsten Todd is managing director of the Cyber Readiness Institute. And if a company like Colonial Pipeline with resources available to it isn't doing the basics, then we have to do a better job making sure our small businesses have the resources and the knowledge and the awareness about what they can do to prevent a ransomware attack. And Todd says the U.S. needs to aggressively prosecute the hackers and the countries harboring them. If somebody had put a bomb on this pipeline and had disrupted it for a week, we would have no question as to the type of response we would have and the consequences. As for gas prices, our friends at AAA tell us that this is a short-term event. Shouldn't be that much of an impact on price or supply. But of course, if this goes a little longer, Anthony, 
we could have a bit of a problem. Yeah, let's hope not, Ed. Thank you very much. Now to that big news about the FDA's authorization of the Pfizer vaccine for older kids. It has been found to be 100% effective in adolescents ages 12 to 15. Our lead national correspondent, David Begno, is at the FDA's headquarters in Silver Spring, Maryland, outside Washington. David, good morning. Anthony, good morning. 100% effective. How about that, right? Look, this announcement comes at a time when infection rates among adults are plummeting because so many of us have been vaccinated, but they're still rising among young people. With this announcement, about 17 million young people will be eligible to get vaccinated. And the hope is get as many vaccinated as you can by the time school starts in the fall. I wanted to see if the vaccine was safe and effective and to help other people um, be able to be vaccinated. This is 14-year-old Ty Dropik. He and his older brother Ben took part in the Pfizer vaccine trial back in December. It's just worth it in every way that you look at it. In Pfizer's study of more than 2,200 volunteers ages 12 to 15, there were zero cases, zero cases of COVID among those who were fully vaccinated compared to 18 cases among those given a placebo. How soon should pediatricians expect to receive the vaccine so they can start administering them? The group that's helping to distribute the vaccine, they understand this need for appropriate storage of this, and they will be ensuring that there are a sufficient number of pharmacies, uh, health centers that will be able to distribute this probably by later on this week. Despite the positive outlook, there was a recent survey that showed only about 30% of parents will get their kids vaccinated when it becomes available. Nearly a quarter say they will not get their child vaccinated at all. CBS News medical contributor Dr. David Agus says encouragement coupled with incentives is what will drive the effort. Hopefully as parents start to see schools say, hey, you want your child to be in person and be socialized and be with friends, they need to be vaccinated. The parents who do vaccinate their children say, hey, you can only play around with kids who are also vaccinated. And so hopefully that'll have an effect. Ty Dropik's family is trying to move the needle. His eight-year-old sister and 10-year-old brother joined trials for younger children after seeing their older siblings get the vaccine. Dropik's mom, Amanda, who is a pediatrician herself, is hopeful their story sends a message to you. I think the message for this group is, listen, the vaccine is safe, it works, and if you want to do things that you normally would like to do, if you want to go hang out with friends, you want to go on vacation, if you want to do those kinds of things, then get your vaccine and let's go back to life being normal again. Hear that loud and clear. Listen, the kids in this trial received the same dose of the vaccine as adults do, and they had some of the same side effects, sore arm, fatigue, fever, chills. And Anthony, the FDA was telling us that some vaccines could be rolled out by pediatricians ready to actually give them as early as this Thursday. Yeah, and let's underline that again, David, 100% effective for 12 to 15-year-olds. Thank you very much. In our next hour, we'll talk to Pfizer's head of vaccine clinical research and development about the COVID vaccine safety and effectiveness in those 12 to 15 year olds. And another reason to get the vaccine, listen to this story. Reported daily coronavirus cases have hit another new high in India, where people are waiting in very long lines for the treatment. The World Health Organization says the COVID variant responsible for most of the country's new cases is now a worldwide concern. Chris Livesay reports on a desperate effort to help COVID victims in Delhi, one of India's largest cities. 
Good morning. With India's healthcare on its knees, Sikh temples like this one are being converted into clinics. But what the country really needs is oxygen. And now private American donors are flying it to the rescue. They're infected with COVID, but it's a lack of oxygen that's killing them. Family members so desperate, they line up for hours or more. Many will leave empty-handed. American donors are helping fill the gap. Free of charge, United Airlines has just flown around 1,000 oxygen concentrators from New York to New Delhi. Now on their way to patients around this country of 1.4 billion people. Ramanan Laxmanarian, a world-renowned epidemiologist, has hung up his lab coat to lead a relief campaign dubbed Oxygen for India. Born out of an effort to rescue his hospitalized friend and colleague, Rahul Takar. So 72 hours ago, these concentrators were sitting in a warehouse in Arkansas, and now they're here in New Delhi. So in layman's terms, this is converting ambient air into oxygen. That's correct. Those little bubbles, that's what's going to save somebody's life. That's what's going to save someone's life. Now he rushes it to a patient desperately waiting. Now, this device retails for about $500, but to somebody with COVID who's literally gasping for air, it's priceless. 64-year-old Jagdeep Kaur has been struggling to breathe for three days. But now... How do you feel? Can you feel the oxygen? I am very happy. Every time I pick up the phone and open it, it's someone who's died. I'm glad we're able to do this because this is what gets our mind away from that constant, you know, it's just bad news all the time. Suddenly, the phone call he dreads. Raul, the friend they started this program for, has died. This is the guy who had a whole lifetime to live ahead of me. I, I don't even know what to say. Indeed, the grim reality in India right now is people afraid to answer their phones to find out which friend or relative has just died. Oxygenforindia.org is just one effort to try and keep people from getting those painful phone calls. Importance of a single breath. That was Chris Livesay reporting from India. We're going to stay overseas now and go to a deadly outbreak of violence in the Middle East. Overnight, Palestinian militants and Israeli forces exchanged rockets and missiles after several days of clashes centered on one of Islam's holiest sites in Jerusalem. Elizabeth Palmer is following all this for us. Liz, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, I can tell you that the situation is still very tense as we speak. In fact, there hasn't been this level of violence and confrontation since six days of heavy fighting back in 2019. Hamas rockets streaking from Gaza toward Israel lit up the night sky. And so did the glow of Israeli retaliatory airstrikes. Israel says it hit Hamas military targets, but this morning, Gazans inspected collateral damage. Property and, in the past 24 hours of widespread violence, say Palestinian authorities, more than 400 were wounded and 24 killed. In Israel, air raid sirens wailed last night, warning people to take cover. But because so many of the incoming rockets were intercepted, there was minimal damage and seven injured, one critically. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said the fact that the rockets were aimed at Jerusalem crossed a red line. Israel, he said, would respond with great force. There were several flashpoints last night. In the West Bank, groups of Palestinians threw rocks at Israeli police who fired back stun grenades. 
And there were similar skirmishes at the ground zero of these clashes, the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. Yesterday, the fourth day of violent protests, a group of Palestinians barricaded themselves inside the mosque compound. And police grenades landed inside the mosque itself after Ramadan prayers. This all began almost a month ago, when especially young Palestinians were angered by Israeli limits on Ramadan gatherings. Now, since the beginning of Ramadan, they have escalated to the point of absolute provocation for Palestinians everywhere. Adding fuel to the fire is the planned eviction of several Palestinian families from homes in East Jerusalem that the Israeli courts have ruled belong to Jews. And as I said, the fighting is continuing this morning. More rockets have been fired at Israel. And our colleague inside Gaza tells us that people there are praised for war. Gail? Thank you, Elizabeth Palmer in London. Millions of Americans canceled airline reservations last year because of the coronavirus, and most of them did not get their money back. Now two U.S. senators are moving to force airlines to give them the refunds. Chris Van Cleve has our story. Shelly McClaskey worries she may be out nearly $900 for flights she and her family didn't take last Christmas. We thought that, you know, things might open up by the end of the year. Um, and it wasn't until Thanksgiving that we really thought, you know, it, California at that time in Los Angeles area was shut down even more. So uh, we just didn't think it was a good idea. They canceled their Southwest Airlines tickets and were given a flight credit. Since they booked the trip last June, that credit expires next month before they'll be able to use it. Flyer complaints over refunds skyrocketed last year from less than 1,600 in 2019 to more than 89,500 in 2020. And now Consumer Reports says they've seen a tenfold increase in complaints about flight vouchers since January. Complicating the issue, every airline's voucher policy is different. It shouldn't be up to the airlines to determine when a passenger feels comfortable flying again. It should be up to that passenger. Monday, Senators Ed Markey and Richard Blumenthal, both Democrats, sent letters to all major U.S. airlines demanding flight credits, especially those issued during the pandemic, never expire. The airlines should refund the price of their ticket. They're not doing that. The least state they should do is extend the expiration date of that ticket. The airlines don't want to do that. While the number of flyers is on the rise, passenger levels remain below that of 2019. U.S. airlines are still losing about $100 million a day. In a statement, an industry trade group says many airlines created voucher policies exceeding the Department of Transportation's guidelines. McClaskey says she'll be flying a different airline moving forward. We will just, you know, make them suffer with using our monies at one of their competitors. Now, airlines in the U.S. did give about $13 billion in refunds last year, up 72 percent from 2019. But we're talking about billions of dollars in vouchers, an estimated at least $10 billion in these flight vouchers. Some of those are starting to expire, and that's why these senators are saying the airline industry has to do better or they'll look at writing legislation to require it. Southwest did extend some vouchers, but says it also has a case-by-case -case review system and can give an extension. They told us they would look at this family's situation. Anthony? So many people still reluctant to fly, Chris. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get daily podcast originals. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you, but all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next? Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before, or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next? And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next.